You're listening to Fit in Focus, a podcast from Fitbit, where we talk about all things health and wellness, from the science and business of health to what motivates people on their own health journey. Hi, everyone. I'm Eric Friedman, co-founder and CTO of Fitbit. I'm joined today with my co-host, Andrew Holing. Hi, everyone. This week, our guest is Senior Vice President and GM for Fitbit Health Solutions, Amy McDonough. You know, I've known Amy over 15 years, and many people don't know that she was actually one of the first people involved with Fitbit after James and myself. We're going to be talking to her about those early days at Fitbit, as well as the intersection between health monitoring and employment. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear firsthand how wearables, you know, made this jump from being viewed as a pedometer, counting your steps, really targeted at consumers, to becoming a significant factor and a health driver in the corporate wellness space. This should be a fun conversation. Amy, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me, Eric. Excited to be here. So Amy, as we, as we kick it off, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do at Fitbit? Absolutely. So uh, I've been at Fitbit a long time, um, almost since its very beginning. Um, and I currently lead in the SVP and GM of our Fitbit Health Solutions business. And that business is uh, our work with employers, health plans, and health systems. Um, and it's really to help them improve healthcare outcomes, um, increase access to care, um, and bring our tools and solutions to population health. And so I want to spend a lot of time on that. But, uh, you know, you and I have worked together for 15 years now. Uh, you know, I-, I knew you before you were even in McDonough. You had a different name back then. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about your journey as how you got from, uh, you know, you start off as a, uh, a teacher. How do you go from teacher to... Uh, to reading a a jam of a business? I started out as a a first grade teacher, uh, then thought I wanted to either go to law school or be a professor. So I really liked learning and exploring uh, new things. But there was this also, and I'm going to date myself here, this, this crazy thing called the internet and email uh, that was, that was coming out that was really new and intriguing. Uh, And uh, I had an opportunity because I was an English major uh, and an education major uh, to look at content development uh, for a website, which was pretty new. And it was essentially taking magazines and putting them online because that's what the internet was in the early days. Um, And so we took these magazines and we put them online and we distributed them them internationally. Um, And I did that for a company called Ziff Davis. uh, And it was a big publishing house. They spun out a company, which by the way, at the time, I didn't know what that meant, uh, and into a company called ZDNet, uh, which got acquired by a company called CNET. Um, And during that time, I I learned a lot about business uh, that I didn't previously know and had the benefit of having great mentors who kind of helped me through that. Um, and that scene is actually where I first met Eric, uh, and as well as James. Uh, and the the three of us uh, worked really well together, and you know have now had a, a long history of working together since then. We we ran a business together over at CNET. Um, as I tell this story, they left to to start their baby, which has now become Fitbit, and is is certainly uh, fully grown. Um, and I went to have uh, my own real life baby, who's now uh, you know almost thirteen year old. But as you've kind of um, made the transition, like you did, you've done so many different jobs at Fitbit um, over the time. Uh, just for our listeners, can you tell us some of the different jobs as your way to that, uh, you know, again, GM of the our, our health business? Uh, and that, I think that's part of what I've loved about the, the journey at Fitbit is I have had the opportunity to touch so many aspects of the business. Uh, I think my first job, uh, as I re- as I recall it, and Eric, you can you can chime in here. Uh, you all had, had just announced the product at at TechCrunch 50, uh, and had 
seen more orders uh, than you had anticipated, uh, which I think was a good problem at the time, but nonetheless a problem, uh, and asked me if I could come help sort through kind of the inbound inquiries and types of requests that you were getting, uh, you know, people who were interested after Tech Country 50 was such a fit and such a hit. Um, and so I kind of my first job was really to sort through those inquiries. And they were PR inquiries, marketing, customers who wanted to buy something, uh, health plans and professionals and all sorts of things. There were lots of, uh, lots of interesting categories. And so my first job was to kind of categorize all of those things and figure out how we wanted to respond to each of these and kind of bucket them, if you will, into kind of where the interest was lying and kind of provide summaries back to James and Eric of like, here's what's happening. Um, And very quickly we learned, um, well, we're going to launch this product. And so we're going to need some customer support. Uh, So I set up and hired uh, the first couple of customer support representatives, many of which I'm I'm happy to say are are still with us uh, and still part of the team. And brought brought them on board, and we experimented around customer support. Uh, I was one of the first female product testers, so I, I tested a lot of devices and packaged them up, and all sorts of what I would say non glamorous things that you do as a startup. Uh, and gosh, trained blue shirts at Best Buy uh, on how to use the product when we first launched. Uh, but my biggest job in the first year and a half was we set you know so that was about September of what year was that, Eric? Two thousand eight. Yeah. Um, 2008, right? Um, that's when the TechCrunch announcement was. Um, and at the time, the the idea was to ship by Christmas uh, so that people could have them for the holidays. We just didn't say which Christmas. Uh, <laughs> so we had to spend another year um, talking through um, and keeping customers happy uh, throughout that um, and not canceling their orders. So a lot of what all of us did was try to keep users engaged and really be transparent. And I think that was a really important part of the process. So we set up a blog and I think we got a Facebook and a Twitter handle somewhere in there. And we decided to, you know, really be transparent about the process of building hardware from the ground up. And I think that really helped uh, people stick stick around um, through that period and until we could actually ship them, which we did by that following Christmas. And I'm going to put you on the spot for a moment to make you take a trip down memory lane. Uh, you're right. I, I never really thought that, yeah, you're, you're within the first five of us. You were the, the, the first woman. And yet, uh, you know, our product user base skews female. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, part of that is because a lot of, you know, the health and fitness decisions in most family structures, both in the U.S. and globally, are driven by kind of the female head of house. Um, what are the insights that you kind of brought to us? I think we spent a lot of time talking that through. I still remember getting this this plastic mold. It wasn't a, a working Fitbit. It was a, a prototype. Uh, and, and my first meeting with James and Eric was they said, can you just wear this? This is a clip-based product. Can you wear this for a month and come back and tell us how it works? And... I came back with some feedback, <laughs> you know, because, you know, it, it, it fell out of my pants or out of my pants pocket because my pants were thinner maybe in, in texture and um, than the pants that they were wearing. I wasn't wearing jeans every day. And, you know, maybe it didn't fit on the waistband the way and it would pop off when you sat down. And so kind of bringing some of those early concepts and thinking through those, um, I think was, was really interesting. And we, we tested those on, on other women's clothing as well. And I think part of those early clip designs, we actually found that people also like to wear them on their bra, which, you know, I think maybe I wasn't the first person to, to notice that, but it was actually a very convenient place to wear it. If you were looking to be discreet, I think that discreet piece was also something that, that perhaps, uh, 
I had, you know, I had experienced as well is that oftentimes you see athletes or you see, you know, they're wearing a, a heavier watch of some sort. And I think for women, especially if they were looking to lose weight, um, and this is again in the early days, they wanted to maybe be more discreet about that and not get, have people ask them questions about what is that, et cetera. Now it's kind of a badge of honor. And I think a lot of people, you know, wear them and say, wow, look at me and I'm tracking this and I'm, I care about my health. But 10 years ago, uh, I think it was a little bit of a different story. And so I think that was something also that we talked a lot about was that discrete factor and still caring about your health, but not having people having to inquire about what are you doing and what are you eating and kind of that judgmental factor of it that I think we've really brought as an industry. And I, I agree. I, I think it's been really important that Fitbit is a brand. Like we're trying to be there to help you, but not be judgmental. Uh, we're not trying to be the taskmaster. That's um, right. It's really the companion, right? That is kind of re- reminding you throughout the day to, you know, take care of yourself and and that your health is important and that you have a commitment to your health. Totally. And, and so, um, you know, you mentioned as you were going through uh, kind of the the different types of inbound business opportunities, you noticed a trend in kind of random companies looking to buy them for their employees. And I remember you bring that to James and myself. Talk about like what that process looked like and what kind of those initial queries look like. The employers and employees and physicians and uh, health plans were all reaching out. And I thought that was really interesting. I didn't have a background in healthcare. I had a background in media and technology and elementary education. Um, So I spent a lot of time on the phone talking to these physicians who were really interested and early employers who were very forward thinking. And essentially, we found a pattern of things that they were not that they couldn't handle and they they didn't know how to work through that they thought we might be able to help solve. There were a couple pain points that they had. One was they wanted to, they were largely responsible for the health of their and the healthcare costs for their employee base, yet they didn't have a great way to motivate, engage those who weren't already self-motivated to to kind of move forward. And so that was a challenge for them. Um, secondarily, they didn't really have validated data and they didn't have a way to get access to data in a way that is really now ubiquitous, um, but at the time was very challenging to get. And I was hearing all of these stories of, yeah, we try to run, you know, kind of walking competitions and walking challenges. And we ask everybody at the end of the month to give us an index card with what they've done for steps. <laughs> um, and I can barely remember what I ma- made for breakfast. Um, I'm not going to remember how many steps and I don't have a way to track my activity levels throughout the month. And so they found that they didn't have a way to validate data. Um, and then they just struggled um, from a resource perspective. Uh, HR you know, generally has a lot of different roles to play um, from you know, a supporter to educator to you know, all sorts of different roles that they're playing. And they wanted to do this, but they felt like it was a very small piece of their time and overall energy and budget that they could do. And so we looked at those three pain points and said, gosh, those are all things that Fitbit devices can help them with. Um, we, can, we can help them validate their data. Um, we can make it easier and more fun for them to participate, to track, to, uh, you know, to, to join a competition um, and really add some, some true value there. And then we can make it easier for them as HR administrators to build those out. And so that was kind of the beginnings of the corporate wellness uh, you know, business that we started back then was really hearing from these really innovative employers who said, I have these challenges and us building a solution um, that really met those challenges um, and you know, those pain points for them. And that was really the, the early days. And we've obviously come a long way since then. 
No, I actually, I remember one of the early uh, videos you showed us about that kind of showed the results of one of these programs where uh, you mentioned bringing people together. Like uh, this woman talks about how every day her boss got more steps than she did. And how finally after like, I think it was like a 60 competition, she finally was able to start beating her boss um, on a regular basis. And then as an afterthought, she throws in, she lost 50 pounds in that process. But the fact that it was like the camaraderie of bringing her closer to her manager uh, it was was fascinating, like the way that health and people all interact with each other. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about work, we spend the amount of work, you know, the amount of time that we spend at work and with our colleagues um, and, 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 you know, outside of this in an office um, is, you know, is a tremendous amount of time, more than a lot of us are able to spend with our families. Uh, and so it's a really big part of that community and driving that community engagement, whether that's competitive or collaborative or both, I think is a really important social piece um, that that really builds on the phenomenon. And, and there's no better place to do that than, you know, where you're surrounded with that all day. It, we kind of used to in the earlier days say, well, that's we're changing the water cooler conversation and making it more fun to say, well, we're, when we're going to go on a one-on-one meeting, let's take a walk and do that, uh, and let's you know do that throughout the day. And how do we build that in into the day? Is another early video that uh, you may remember, Eric, as we were uh, we used to get all these videos around people getting their stairwells opened up um, and celebrating that, and so you know they could walk to the seventh floor so that they could get their steps in between their meetings, uh, and they would put gremlins in the hallways of the stairwell so that they could catch them on the way up. So they would, you know, run up two stairs, uh, two flights of stairs. And then if you took a picture with the gremlin, you might win a prize. And so they were really gamifying the whole experience. And I think that really made it fun and social. And again, much more acceptable to do that throughout the workday. And I think that's part of the cultural change that comes when you incorporate that as part of the culture of health that you bring within an organization. You mentioned talking to physicians, employers, employees, and, you know, they all wanted the same thing. They wanted the end employee, you know, the person to be healthier, but do they all go about it the same way? And and how do you try to align those interests and ensure that they're going in the same direction? They definitely didn't want to go around, uh, go about it in the same way, um, but they all had the same end motivation, as you said, which is around how do we get uh, our employees or members or patients, um, all of them, you know, are, are consumers at the end. Uh, how do we get them uh, motivated and to kind of take charge and be empowered around their own health? How do we get them to understand it? How do we get them to think about this first and foremost and kind of take charge of it? And I think that was the common denominator um, that we really rallied around is how can we get them engaged and motivated around their own health? Because that was really the piece that was missing, making it fun, making it engaging, making really complex things or inaccessible data very accessible um, in a way that it just hadn't done, um, making it socially a, a social um, and fun, and but also socially acceptable. And I think by bringing that together, that was kind of the common denominator across, even though they might have gone about it in a, in slightly different ways or taken a different track on it. I mean, I think one thing that we've always really said is that we want to be transparent. We want to be inclusive. We want data to be used for good. Um, and I think those are the really important principles and that we aligned you know, kind of the industry, um, the corporate wellness industry around those and that, you know, data should be used to help 
individuals uh, be more successful and take better charge of their own health. And I think that was the common ingredient across all of these different asks that we were getting. And I think it's really helped us build the solution that we have today. And so we've seen uh, together, seen Fitbit scale from four or five people up through, you know, 2000 as we are. You've worked with companies like I remember when we celebrated your first deal for like, you know, 100 devices. uh, And now you're doing things for, you know, companies that are, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees. How, how do you see kind of like companies interacting with employee health at kind of small scale to large scale? And yeah, what stays the same? What's different? Well, as a as an early employee, one, I will say I still get really excited when I see, you know, Fitbit devices on wrist or for every new launch that we do, um, because I think it's it's amazing to see what uh, the movement literally and, and figuratively that's been built. Um, and so I, I'm still very motivated and, and that's a big part of working for a mission-driven organization. So I think I'll... You know, some things have changed. I would say the the industry has grown up. You know, corporate wellness um, is now, you know, health and well being have kind of merged into into one, which I think is a great thing. So you don't think about here's here's what I do for wellness or here's what I do at home to take care of myself, but that is at odds with my job. Um, there's there's better integration into health and well being, um, and kind of that spectrum of of health, and that it's not about disease management. It's about proactive healthcare and how can we help support and, and again, empower individuals to take care of healthcare. So I think that has evolved a lot. As a company, uh, it's wonderful to see things scale and I think very motivating to see true population health. We're now working with, as you said, we used to work with, with small and mid-sized businesses and celebrated every single one of those. And, and we still do. And, and that's an important segment for us. But to be able to support health plans and governments in some uh, situation kind of having true population health and the ability to touch those lives individually and collectively, I think is is very motivating and I think is a, a big part of, of where we're all going. I will say that I think back to my, my small and mid-sized business, it's an area that I'm still really passionate about. And I think that technology can help bridge the gap of having a small or a mid-sized business who can actually bring really amazing wellness and health benefits to their employees in a way that just wasn't possible 10 years ago. Um, And it's about bringing about accessibility and affordability and small companies who might be distributed and being able to bring them together. And I I think I really think that technology has helped helped do that in a way that again just it wasn't accessible or affordable um, for small businesses to do as little as ten years ago. With the current COVID crisis, a lot of us are working from home with distributed teams. Uh, and you've had a global team for a long time and had to find creative ways to really motivate them and support them. Um, what are some of the ways you can share for us about how you keep teams engaged when we might not be able to do you know meetings or, or go for a walk or be in person together in an office? That's a great question. We do have a global team, so all sorts of different time zones, uh, and you know we're we're getting less activity. Maybe overall, the global trends are showing, um, but I think we're getting more purposeful activity, um, which I think is a really good thing. So uh, I'm encouraging our teams to uh, take 
you know, take an hour, you know, every day. Uh, we used to have something when we were in the office called Workout Wednesday, uh, which was, you know, encourage you to wear your workout clothes throughout the day, which, you know, is just that extra little step of things that that will motivate you to then take that next step and, and you know, join a workout class. So we, we have some of those that we've moved online. Um, so we've taken some of those together as a, as a team. Um, we're also doing some, some step competitions. So motivating each other that way. We're sharing... Uh, photos on on Slack of our hike that we did and kind of really celebrating those successes. And so I think that's been a big part of it is making that an acceptable part of the culture. And and also just taking those walking meetings, but but doing them uh, virtually. Uh, so I'm I'm walking here in in my home in the Bay Area and outside on on a trail. And you know the the individual I'm talking to might be in you know Texas or Florida or Boston or or Singapore. Uh, and I think you know we're making sure that uh, they know that that's okay and and that it's an important part of being he- of being healthy. And you know taking those breaks actually is the research shows it's going to make you more productive. So getting that fresh air, standing up, walking throughout the day um, is a really important piece to actually bring your best self to work. So you shouldn't look at it as time away. It's actually time where you're going to come back and, and actually do your best work. It's been it's been so cool to see across companies doing that. I think at Fitbit we're so lucky that we've been able to to do that, and it's part of the the culture. But to your point, like we're seeing so much, many different companies and so many different stories about how people are accepting more of this work from home lifestyle and how to you know set boundaries and take time for yourself and and work out and get exercise. And it's just so great to see that sort of where everyone's evolving to be be more in line with that focus on on health and mental wellness when you're working from home. Yeah, I think that could be, you know, and I don't want to make light of a pandemic. Of course, it's a it's a public health crisis, but I do think that out of crisis comes innovation and comes mm-hmm. um, acceptance of a future change um, and things that we could do better. Um, we shouldn't say we should go back to normal or the way we were, but we should right. strive to do better. Um, and maybe this is one of the ways that that we can help to do that um, in the future is just just let you know add that acceptance of. Uh, it's okay to have work-life integration. I, I never was a fan of work-life balance because I think that's you're, then you're assuming that something's out of balance or that you're not tipping the scales in the right way. But I think if you think about it as work-life integration and kind of a results-oriented work environment, um, then you can you can balance uh, those those things together and make them happen. And I will say um, there are times when I am on you know phone calls where I'm supposed to be. Uh, listening and, and not presenting, uh, and I'm maybe following a PowerPoint or listening to a speaker or something. Uh, and those are great times to do our workouts uh, while you're listening because you're not multitasking. And so, um, I think I think there's a great way to integrate those behaviors as well into the day. You mentioned that you're also working out more with the time you spend not commuting. Uh, what are you doing to stay healthy right now? Well, my dog is probably the happiest person in the place. Um, it's the he, animals uh, that are doing it. That's they, right. They're they, all they did doing it. it. <laughs> he's, uh, he's getting really long walks in the morning before it was like, I have 20 minutes and we got to go. Um, so he's getting long, early walks. Uh, I also have committed to, since the shelter in place, and actually knock on wood, I have not missed a day, um, I do a morning meditation. Um, to just set my intentions for the day. Um, I make sure I drink a whole giant thing of water before I have my first cup of coffee. That's a 
a fairly short-term motivation um, <laughs> to make sure I do that. Um, I make my bed every day, which I think is another good one. Those are, I would say, if you had three things to do, it's like in the morning, you should like have a glass of water because you've done something for your health. You should make your bed because then you've done something to like order and set your intentions for the day. Um, and then I like to start with that, that mindfulness meditation because I think it sets my, my mood for the day. And I do all that before anybody else gets up. And then I walk the dog. Um, so I, that's a big part of my morning routine. Um, and then I have been doing, my children have uh, PE uh, assigned to them for their distance learning. And so we have been doing family boot camp workouts and we have been doing all sorts of new activities that have challenged all of us. So a lot more hiking and um, we're, we're doing some hiking. Uh, we're doing burpees, which are not my favorite, but really <laughs> important for you. Um, at least my husband and children tell me that. Um, and actually my son this past week got assigned um, a headstand um, and so I, and handstand. And so I've been practicing my handstands, which I don't think I've done since I was in my teens. So we're trying to flex those, those literal muscles and, and do some different things. I'm also, when I can, trying to take a part and participate in um, Fitbit's workouts that we have to offer. Both our premium workouts, but also those that we offer as an employer uh, that we offer through Zoom and other online tools um, to make those available. And we try to do those as a team to keep motivated and connected as well. And so our international uh, listeners might not realize that, uh, um, you know, most Americans actually get their health care through their company. Um, do you feel like uh, employees expect something different of um, health care or the, the company's relationship with health care when kind of you're a small mom and pop or, or kind of a smaller company versus, again, some of these larger multinationals? Do you think there's kind of a different expectation as well? Or is it uh, kind of everyone's expecting the same thing? How, do, how, do, how does the company take care of me and make me healthier? I think there, there's uh, certainly dis differences when you think about that globally, about who's responsible for healthcare, right? So as you suggested, in the U.S., largely um, employers um, are, are responsible for a good majority of the healthcare costs. And I think that's, that's pretty U.S.-specific. Um, in a lot of other markets, um, it is uh, you know, the government um, or more nationally driven healthcare. Um, and I think that that in and of itself uh, makes for some differences there in terms of expectation setting around what um, what benefits should be provided, uh, you know, to an individual. Uh, I think we're seeing that uh, as as in the U.S. we move to from fee for service to value based care. We're seeing some of that shift more towards you know kind of universal benefits and providing you know again as the name implies value um, for that care. And so I think if we can continue on that trajectory and as we see that take foothold, I think that's really important to providing the best care um, in an accessible and affordable way. So it's very aligned with our mission. Um, when you think about employers and health plans, I think their motivation goes back to they want to keep you out of the doctor's office. Um, one, selfishly, that helps them save cost. Um, but also, uh, you know, as as an individual, um, it's it's important. You want to you want to take care of yourself and you know longevity. I think the challenge has always been up until now. There's been age calculators that tell you that well, if you do this in 50 years, this really bad thing is going to happen to you. <laughs> and it's hard to make that leap because we're, we're very immediate uh, gratification uh, individuals. And I think uh, making that much more accessible, affordable, and seeing those little steps um, that 
can transform your health without you tell and how you feel uh, helps make that more affordable. And I think that's pretty universal. So I think that um, that kind of motivation and the data that drives the behavior change is universal across the global. How you get it and your access to that, um, I think, might vary based on your location. Transitioning back to kind of the the topics of uh, you know global health and how how do we kind of go from kind of the individual to kind of the the population level health um, in three to five years, where do you see the role of technology kind of helping you know companies help their employees become healthier and therefore reduce their healthcare costs, but kind of manage healthcare? I'm really excited about the role that technology can play in healthcare. I will say I have a position that I've had all along, and I think it comes from my background, which a lot of has been in strategic partnerships, is that I believe that uh, technology has a role in helping accelerate and further integrations into healthcare and not necessarily disruption. And by nature, that's probably disruption. um, But I don't like to think of us um, or as, you know, the role of Fitbit Health Solutions is to, you know, disrupt healthcare and we're going to build it from scratch and start all over again. I just, that is a really complicated problem and web and as we've talked about, varies globally. Um, But I think there are some common elements there where technology can help, uh, you know, outside of the four walls of the physician's office. It can help, um, which you might only see even, you know, uh, if you're on the wellness spectrum once a year for your annual well check, or you might see, you know, more occasionally if you have a a condition that you're managing, but it's still not with you all the time. Um, And so, uh, you know, where I'd love to see it go is that we can deepen integrations into the healthcare system to help it be smarter, more effective, better outcomes and cost less. And I think that's really where we can provide value is we can provide data points and continuous data streams in ways that were never um, before possible and make those available to really smart physicians um, and nurse practitioners and and other individuals who are helping take care of your health um, and provide valuable insights into what happened between visits and notifications to help you um, be your best self and and live your healthiest lifestyle. And I think that's really the opportunity we have is to to bring those to light. I'm really excited to help you provide the technology to to get you make that true. Thank you so much for your time for talking about us, everything from uh, food to uh, uh, healthy food to healthy habits to uh, the, the global healthcare system and how we uh, can make people, get people to be healthier in mass. So Amy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Amy. Thank you. It's been a, a pleasure being with, with both of you today, Andrea and Eric, and a little fun down memory lane and, and also, you know, all the opportunities ahead. Thanks so much. Thanks. Take care.